So you look at that, it's like, oh, that is about like the attention deficit. About people have ADHD, because what happens is like you have the sympathetic nerve and the parasympathetic nerve that don't get along. They basically they fight each other. So that is the idea. Like in Chinese medicine, it's like okay, yin and yang, qi and blood. They're not in harmony. They fight each other. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. The opposite of having a big ego is not a weak ego; it's no ego. The opposite of love it isn't hate; it's indifference. The opposite of success isn't failure; it's not trying. Do you come down on the side of mystery, or of anxiety, of self-interested competition, or self-interested cooperation? Is the world safe, or is it an endless threat? Do the limits you bump up against come from an unfair outer world, or from an unripened inner world? It's easy to fall into the comfortable trap of a false dichotomy that we identify a problem and then decide that, well, of course, it's due to, well, fill in the blank, from our patient's disrupted digestion to the behavior of that family member who leans a bit too heavily on drama, or the social ill of the day. It's all too human to grab a simple solution to a complex problem. But at least in clinic, we have the opportunity to test our pet theories and disprove the easy answers provided by our cognitive biases. It's easy to see when treating patients and watching them not get better, or if we're honest, see them get worse. Clinical results don't lie. They show us the truth, challenge our blind spots, and destroy our seemingly good ideas. This isn't work for the faint of heart. One way to shorten the process of hypothesized tests is to take the diagnoses that we come up with, and instead of looking for all the signs that confirm it, Look to see if you can disprove it. Take your favorite pet theory and see if you can prove yourself wrong about it before swabbing the first point that you're considering needling. Confirmation bias is a real thing, and it's insidious. It will smooth talk you into thinking you understand when, in fact, it's picking your pocket as you're writing it a check for its expert consultation. Clinic is hard you're way more likely to see confusing and contradictory signs than not. And at some point, you need to feel like you've got enough information lining up on the side of a potential solution than not. So as a final check, see if you can disprove the diagnosis you just came up with. Are there any notable signs that you're avoiding looking at? Are you thinking, if I see X, then of course the reason has to be Y. That's a good time to double down on asking yourself if it's actually so. A good time to see if you fell for a false dichotomy or if perhaps you're propping up a favorite pet theory or maybe just tired at the end of the day or confused by one too many conflicting signs. And so grabbing a theory that you like because it explains the situation and so grab at a theory that you like because it explains the situation in a way that allows you to feel good about yourself. Good writers all talk about how in the editing process, 
you have to kill some of your favorite ideas or paragraphs. It's not a bad idea to do the same with medicine. See if you can disprove your diagnosis before starting your treatment. This isn't for the faint of heart. However, it can be helpful for your patients. Eastern and Western medicine are wildly different in their theory and approach to healing, but both are looking at the very same phenomena, a human being. It's easy to take the approach of East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. But if we really understand our medicine, if we are firm not just in theory, but facile in the practice, then anything from the conventional medicine side, we should be able to see its resonance over on the oriental medicine side as well. Just like we can take the experience of being human and translate it into another language. Sure, there are nuances that every language imparts and blind spots as well, but still, it's helpful if we can understand modern conventional medicine through the lens of our Chinese medicine. And it's helpful for our patients as well, because then we're not trying to teach them Chinese Medicine 101. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine, and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi 
and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. In this conversation with Dr. Wen Hua Bing, we explore this perspective and we talk about approaching some common troublesome conditions that you're likely to encounter in clinic. Listen in and enjoy. Dr. Wen, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. So delighted that you're here. We are talking today because I think one of your students said that, hey, I should go talk to Dr. Wen. He's got some interesting things to say about medicine, and he's been at it for a long time. And I think she also mentioned at that point that you long ago had been working at the uh, Dongjimin Yuan, the Dongjimin Hospital, in the emergency room in Beijing. Now, that makes me wonder, okay, this guy worked at Dongjerman emergency room. How do you get here to the United States doing Chinese medicine? <laughs> that sounds like a long trip. <laughs> okay. I was asking myself the same question many times, you know, why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> well, long story short, uh, life is not easy to predict. You know, I didn't expect, you know, to, uh, to be here. And look back, it's been 28 years. Michael, can you believe that? 28 years of my life living in the States now. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely it's a, it's a journey. But It is. And it is surprising. Time flies. Yes, it does. So when you were working in the emergency room at Dongzimen, were you doing Western medicine there? Were you doing Chinese medicine there? What was your role there? Um, you know, for people in the West, it's hard to even imagine how you do like Chinese medicine. We're talking about uh, acupuncture and the herbs in the emergency room. But that is the reality, like in Beijing, you know, the hospital, Dongzhenmen Hospital, where I used to be uh, working, you know, for three years after my residency. That is, uh, we use acupuncture for people coming with acute stomach ache, epileptic flare-ups, attacks, and people with a stroke, mm. yeah, heart attack even. 
you know, the needles already in, well, you hook up with the EKG monitor. You do that, and there is uh, the stroke patient, herbal IV already in before they start see, uh, you know, have the CT scan. So there's a quite a lot of integrative approach used in the emergency room. So often, at least here in the West, we think about acupuncture being used more for chronic conditions. And for acute conditions, people do go to emergency rooms, but we wouldn't see acupuncture there so much. And I know, and this is funny, because I remember when I lived in China, you would often hear people say things like, if you need a quick result, get Western medicine. If you have a chronic disease, use Chinese medicine. But that's not really the case. Our medicine can be very, very useful in an acute situation. For those of us that may not have the experience that you have, and especially for students, what are some things that they could think about in terms of using acupuncture in a very acute situation? Where could they bring that in and help people? There's a lot of ways a student can learn, also practice the way, like what you know, we did in Beijing, like in Dongzhimo Hospital. But education system is a little bit different. I've been teaching here in the States um, at the USAN University and also Empress College, you know, for over probably 20 some years. And so the way the setup, you know, the way the school set up, and we try to prepare the students to be good acupuncturists, which is good. Yeah. But acupuncture is just a like a part of traditional Chinese medicine. You know, I always joke with the students like, okay, we need two legs to walk, right? TCM, you have one leg that's called acupuncture. The other leg called herbal medicine. If you only have one leg, even it's good, very strong, you will be leaping. It doesn't matter, you won't go far. If you really want to be a great practitioner, you have to have both legs strong. And most of the schools, from my personal teaching experience, I think the focus seems is a little bit off. You know, they should focus at least on both, Mm -hmm. if not more, on the herbal medicine. So it seems to me, at least in my experience, that in some ways learning acupuncture is easier than learning herbs. Uh, Which is true. Mm. We say it's like... Analogy, all right, you know, takes about five years to be a good acupuncturist, mm. but it takes about 10 years to be a good herbalist. The complexity of herbal medicine is way much than compared to the acupuncture practice. And this is not based on any textbook because you have to learn that from your patient. Your patient is your best teacher. Unfortunately, so to be able to use the herbs effectively, fortunately, it's like one by one. You have to know the know the herbs, know the formulas very well, and then you use that on your patient. You get the feedback, the positive or negative. You correct, modify your formula. You know the whole drill. But that yes, exactly takes a lot of time. 
And like you mentioned earlier, you know, today's weird attention span is what, three seconds? If you don't see the result right away, <laughs> people won't do it. I've heard it said that a goldfish has a larger attention span than a human being now. Uh, the goldfish is only has seven seconds, if I remember the right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we joke about this. It, in some ways, it's kind of funny. In some ways, it's actually tragic what is happening to our ability to focus and our ability to pay attention. Certainly in learning medicine, it requires a lot of focus and a lot of time to be able to think, to read, to absorb that information, to try it in clinic, see what kind of results you get, go back, read some more to see what you missed if you don't get the results that you wanted. Like you were saying, our patients really are our best teachers. That's how you actually get experience. You don't get experience in books. You get ideas in books. You get experience in your clinic. What are your thoughts on how to improve attention? Let's say you're a student or a new practitioner or just, I don't know, maybe you're just a parent and you want to see your, your kids be more successful just in terms of being able to uh, manage their own attention span. Have you got thoughts on helping attention to be a little bit longer or a little bit more deep using our medicine? Michael, you're right. We got the classic formula for that. You know, the formula is called, you know, Gui Zhi plus Longgu Mu Li Tang, which is from Shanghai Lun. So I call that, this is a formula for crying babies. You know, I joke about it, but this is literally speaking, you know, you have a lot of people with not just kids, adults. Attention deficit disorder. You know, the people know they, they want a label. They don't feel good. They want a label. You know, they can address it. I got that. Yeah. So you look at the formula, you know, Gui Zhi Jia Long Gu Mu Li Tang back in the Shanghai Lun 1800 years ago. You know, look at the stage. It's like, what is it used for? My approach of reading the classics is like, I always want to have a modern interpretation. Mm. You know, it's like, okay, according to conventional medicine, so what does that pattern really mean? So you look at that, it's like, oh, that is about like the attention deficit, about people have ADHD. Because what happens is like you have the sympathetic nerve and the parasympathetic nerve that don't get along. They basically they fight each other. So that is the idea, like in Chinese medicine, it's like, okay, yin and yang, qi and the blood, they're not in harmony, they fight each other. Mm-hmm. So Gui Zhi Tang, the cinnamon twig formula, you know, the first formula in Shanghai Lun, is actually about how to harmonize so-called yin and the wei, the defensive qi versus the nutritive qi. So you look at from conventional medicine perspective, what that really means is that the gui zhi, which is a pungent plus the licorice, sweet, the pungent plus sweet actually help to regulate the sympathetic nerve, which is the yang part. Yeah, your sympathetic nerve is too excited, your blood pressure will go up, your heart will be beat faster, and oh, this is the yang, definitely the yang energy, right? And white piani, bai shao, the flower plus licorice, 
the sour plus the sweet that generate in and blood. So which works basically works on the parasympathetic nerve. So calm down the system. So why you have ADD, ADHD? You know, those two systems are just not balanced. So you have something like Gui Zhi Jia Longgu Mu Li Tang and the Longgu, the dragon bone and the oyster shell, which is like herbal version of calcium, magnesium and the zinc. So you <laughs> right, which are very commonly used for these kind of neurological issues. You're right. So that's kind of like you look at the whole formula from 1800 years ago. They figure that out. Oh, if we do this, people will be calmer. Of course, it's like not so excited. Oh, you have those like mood swings, right? And attention deficit problem will be addressed. Definitely can help to extend your attention span. So that's why I'm saying I got the formula for you. I like it. I I love <laughs> I love thinking about it in terms of looking at the ing in the way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years as well is is the very deep importance of the blood and how it affects the shen. You know, and we have this idea, we have this saying in Chinese medicine that when the blood is deficient, shui shu, right? Blood is deficient. Yeah. The spirit it wanders, it has no home. Right, because the spirit roots itself in the blood, and I have seen this in my own life, and I have seen it in patients. It's not difficult to see, mm. and so I'm thinking about uh, as you're talking about it, and wondering if sometimes you might modify it with something like some danshan, or put in a little dangue, or you know something to help give that blood aspect a little bit more strength. Could we think about it in those terms as well? Of course you can. Yeah, you're right on that. You know, this is like the blood deficiency is a part of the cause for shen problems. In my teaching, I always use analogies like, okay, what is the shen? We know the shen is the spirit, right? Yeah. So in conventional medicine, you know, the funny thing is I was talking to uh, one of my students who is happened to be, this term, happened to be a gynecologist. You know, one, one time we talk about the, the category, you know, calm the shen. So I was asking the students, like, okay, so in conventional medicine, what we talk about the spirit? And so he was joking, what spirit? We don't have spirit. What are you joking? There's no spirit. He's a practitioner. He knows, of course, he knows the the medical terms. But this is kind of like the area you don't get much of mentioning even, you know, in conventional medicine. But in practice, when we see patients, those questions, those problems, show up all the time. And so in Chinese medicine, we say, oh, there's the, the shen, right? There's the, there's the shen house. I was like, where is the shen house? We don't know. Maybe in the heart, maybe in the brain. We don't know. But there's this place. This place is also called clear orifices. Yeah, they, they need mm. to be pure. They cannot be disrupted or interrupted or cannot be invaded with some dirty stuff, right? It has to be. Two things that can make the shen scared. So one is shen means sufficient blood supply. You know, I was I always joke about, yeah, the shen is like just blood fucking uh, vampire. You know, if you don't have enough blood, shen will let you know. The shen is not happy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Blood sucking vampire. <laughs> Which is true, right? 
<laughs> yes, it yes, yeah. actually it is. In a way. <laughs> the second part is like, okay, if there's any outside forces, you know, that invade the Shen house, right? That clear places. So the Shen got scared, you know, got scattered, and you have a lot of the Shen issues. So you translate that into conventional medicine. You know, we're talking about the people with mental, severe mental illness. And we know, like, okay, people have to be on antipsychotics you know, all the time. And what that does to the body, you know, you think about it because they try to, like, surprise the brain function, right? You slow down the brain function. And so the, we hope, you know, that the Shen will be calmer. Yeah, even though mm-hmm. they don't have a Shen, you know, they don't acknowledge the Shen existence. Yeah. But as the byproduct, you kind of like reduce the blood supply also to the brain. So that's why we pretty much can tell easily to see patient who has been taking heavy duty, like antipsychotics easily to tell because we say, oh, you don't see any shen. <laughs> they don't have any shen. The shen is missing. The shen is lost. So that part, this is number one. Number two, I think, you know, the blood deficiency, not enough blood to supply the brain, also has something to do with the blood vessel. So blood vessel hardening, you know, the sclerosis, Mm. that is very common. It comes with the aging process, right? But if you have other chronic conditions, that also could have some impact on that. So this is the second part. So like, okay, why you tend to have blood deficiency and you tend to have some Shen issues? Yes, and well, certainly with hardening of blood vessels, you're looking at blood stagnation as well. That's right. We know what kind of trouble that can bring. Hey, I, you know, as we're having this conversation, you were talking about antipsychotics. We're talking about the, the Shen being rooted in the blood and the importance of the orifices being open and clear. And... I'm wondering, because like you, I, I often will think about like how might this work in Western medicine, or if there's a Western medicine thing going on, how would I explain that in Chinese medicine so that I can understand it from a perspective where I might be able to help because that's my scope. I'm able to work from that space, but I have to understand it from the Chinese medicine point of view. And so as you were just talking about the antipsychotics, I'm wondering if those things also to some degree close down the orifices or veil the orifices a bit so that the person isn't so disturbed by what they see coming in from the outside world. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, you're right on that. Yeah, because like for example, we're talking about in like brain science in conventional medicine, peer study, you know, from conventional medicine. So when we sleep, right? So the brain receives like 50% of blood supply. So 50%. It's a very expensive organ. That's right, right? But that's not all. So if you didn't sleep enough or you don't have a good night's sleep, so you cut that back even more. So it's like, okay, you may have only 30% of blood supply compared to other people, right? With 50%, that is still not very high. So the brain is just like any other organ that needs to be cleaned, reorganized, repaired. So that is over time, 
And if you just basically from that sleep deprived state, you end up with a lot of health issues. Yeah. So that is actually also from TCM perspective, you just keep your shen blood deficient all the time. You got shen problems, right? Yeah. It's actually it's very much the same, yeah, same idea. So personally, I like because of my training, you know, that I went to uh, Beijing University of Chinese Medicine. And back then, that they have the six-year program, half conventional, like 50-50, 50% of Chinese medicine, 50% of conventional medicine. Uh, I, I wish they kept that program, but, you know, the, over the years, it's the program changes all the time, and, but it's not the same like when I went to school. Like, this is the only thing I can say. Good or bad, this is out of my judgment. The one thing I learned the most yeah, is when you study both conventional medicine and uh, Chinese medicine together, so you don't fight yourself. You always try to find a common ground. It's like, okay, because I always use an analogy to describe what is Chinese medicine, what is conventional medicine. So I say, yeah, you look at human body, right? You look at it from the front. You can see, okay, how big the eyes are, you know, the distance between the eyes and the mouth, you know, how big your, you know, upper limbs is measurable. You can measure it. Yeah. So what is conventional medicine? What is Chinese medicine? Is you look from the back. You don't see clearly. Okay. If you ask the Chinese medicine practitioner, what is the distance? Between the two eyes, you got no answer. But what I can tell you, I think the patient has no problem walking because the patient didn't bump into things. The way they look at it is you focus more on the function perspective rather than the organic perspective. So I can still, I don't see clearly what's there just from the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you stand, I can pretty much have idea, okay, the patient has some leaping problems, right? The patient has maybe have some pain. You can have a rough idea. You know, there's a lot of study, you know, research to try to figure it out. Yeah, it's like, okay, so if the traditional Chinese medicine is really like effective, if there's any scientific evidence that can support that, you use a different, completely different model to study something, you pretty much have the whole way to study. They used to, I still believe that, yeah, it's like they used the so-called like a black box theory, right? Mm-hmm. You just look at the input and output. We don't know exactly what's going on in between, but we can still pretty much have idea what's happening. But, you know, my point is, if you combine those two, right? You look at the front, the front, you can measure it, you know, that's pretty much what we, we can use. Oh, the, how is the blood pressure? Yeah, how is your white blood cell, you know, red blood cells, your kidney function, liver function? On the other hand, you can look at from the TCM perspective, all the function perspective. So you combine those two. So that is called integrative medicine. So that is what I got trained for back then. So that's why the way I practice is like uh, always Ask my patient, yeah, bring your, you know, latest, you know, blood work and imaging tests. It's like, I can have a much better idea. 
what to do. So you are medically bilingual. So to speak, I think I, I can <laughs> I can say that.、Yeah. You know, being able to speak about it and think about it in Chinese medicine terms, being able to understand it and think about it in Western medicine terms. Like you were saying earlier, sometimes not sometimes often patients come in with a diagnosis and they very much identify with that diagnosis.、Uh, that diagnosis is usually not so helpful to us because we're looking to see well what's the actual function here of what's going on. You just brought up blood pressure. That you know, with Western medicine, we can take blood pressure, and I don't know. Maybe it's because of COVID or who knows what. But I've had quite a few patients recently with blood pressure issues, and I know that Chinese medicine is supposed to treat it well, but I'm not very good at helping people with blood pressure for whatever reason. I haven't quite dialed that one in.、I'm、wondering if you might be able to、uh, point me in a couple of directions that I could think about in helping my patients with these blood pressure issues that I've been seeing lately. Michael, I'm glad you yeah bring that up.、Uh, the blood pressure issue. So first of all, you know, if you look at the conventional medicine, just even by conventional medicine standard, so blood pressure there's the so-called treatment. It's more like management、mm. because high blood pressure is not a disease; it's just a phenomenon. You know that part is like, but people always think we have to control the blood pressure, we have to make the lower. You know, the lower, the better. That's you probably have that experience with your patient. You know, they go to see their doctor, they change the medications, they cannot function, they just it's miserable, right? Yes. And then you look at this like, okay, is that really the way it's supposed to be? You know, you lower your blood pressure, you push the soul down so low, but the quality of life and the patient's the function part of it, they cannot do anything. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple. Delicious and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas, so that each meal is infused with medical intention, from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming, or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food. Where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who have brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books One and Two can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Right, I've had a number of people on blood pressure meds,、mm-hmm. and they're just kind of tired and fatigued, especially if they've got a beta blocker thrown in on top of that, because there may be a cardiac patient or they've got anxiety, and they complain about just not having the energy that they would like to have. So, you look at from 
first of all, like look at it from TCM perspective, mm. we have different patterns with blood pressure issue, right? And high blood pressure, you can look at the, this is, we're talking about the blood vessel, right? It's artery. It's a blood vessel, it's artery. A lot of times it's, it's a physics. It's not much of, it's like, okay, so if you have too much volume, right? Too much volume. So the wall got expanded. So that triggered the signal. So the blood pressure needs to go up, right? This is pretty much one most common. That actually is the foundation of the treatment principle in conventional medicine by using diuretics. You reduce that volume within the blood vessel. So naturally, the blood pressure will drop. So in Chinese medicine, we have very similar thing, right? Those herbal diuretics. And where it's the most common, again, Shanghanun formula called Wu Ling San. I give it the name called the herbal water pill, you know, for that particular type. So how do we know there's that type? That type is what? Water, because the extra fluid in the blood vessel. So that is from where you have extra body weight. You know, the obesity type. That blood pressure gradually, you know, increasing. This is the type due to water retention, due to damp. Due to dampness. Due to dampness. Yeah. So that's kind of like, okay. The other type is the blood vessels wall tend to be tighter due to emotional distress, some emotional you know, events. So that is what we call the liver yang rising. It's like, okay, they get stressed, the heart beat faster, the blood pressure go higher, they get so angry, you know, you see those people. So impatient, right, become short-tempered, all that. The group of herbs we use to lower, so-called to subdue the liver yang, that can actually help relax the blood vessel wall so you relax that blood pressure drop naturally. So that is the liver yang rising. So you like to use something like sinisan for that? Sinisan can do it. All the herbs and another like tianma gotenyin also can do that. Oh, yeah, that's good. You pretty much lower that. And uh, there is also a different type because the heart beats so fast, right? The blood pressure goes higher because you have the power, you have the, you know, the speed. They'll go higher. That actually is the group you're supposed to use the beta blocker. But in practice, a lot of times, even practitioners, they don't even pay attention. You know, they have a very slow heart. We have patients, very athletic, very slow heartbeat. They put them beta blockers. That's the type you cannot, they cannot even function. Like dizziness, vertigo, they, they just feel like any minute ready to yeah, fall down. So this is kind of like the beta blocker. It's like in Chinese medicine, when we have those detox herbs, cooling, detox, kind of like slow down. You slow down the system. Yeah, you detox, get the toxins out. So, for example, like the formula we use for liver fire, mm-hmm. can be dropped, help to lower blood pressure. So that is that, that type. So that's if it's a fire type issue. You've definitely got a lot of heat. That's right. You show a lot of heat. Yeah. If somebody was cold, you wouldn't want to use that formula. Not at all. 
This is kind of like, yeah, just by saying we already have quite like three different types of patterns that which is when it comes to hypertension treatment, you see oh, there's about uh, maybe a little bit more now, uh, 30 different types of antihypertensives. But you have those basic, right? You have the diuretics, you have the beta blocker, you have uh, the ACE inhibitor, and you have a calcium channel blocker. But each type, you have like herbal version, you know, equivalent to that particular type. Yeah. So for us, it, we'd be looking at, say, a damp presentation. There's your Uling sign. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you've got that liver yang rising. They're they're hypertensive because the liver chi is going up. You use one of those chai hu formulas, or like you were saying, you could use the uh, tian ma gotong in. It's another one that a friend of mine likes to use. I always forget the name of it. Ban sha. Uh, ban sha bai zhu tian ma tang. That's it. Yeah. Yes. That that is like okay. You have like so called wind and the flame. Right. Yeah, uh, flaring up. Yeah, not much of a heat, but. Can be high blood pressure. But what is in practice, in my practice at least, you know, the one I like is the most is for uh, vertical. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have Meniere's or relate Meniere's like uh, syndrome. So is for that purpose. Yeah. Another formula most times people don't even think of that can be used to treat high blood pressure is the true warrior decoction. Oh, right. When there's yang deficiency and, and too much damp accumulation. You know, this is like when people have high blood pressure, there are two different types of manifestation. One type is the fire type, right? Blood pressure is high, it's like so hyper. The other, you know, headaches, right? All the yeah, uh, yang rising signs. The other type is like the blood pressure goes higher, they get exhausted, they got very tired. That type, it's more likely to be the Zheng Wu Tang, the true warrior decoction type, which is very also very common, but most times the people don't think that way. So this is because the yang is actually a bit weak and it's floating upwards. And if you can bring that back down, it'll mm-hmm. drop the blood pressure and give them more energy. Is that the idea behind it? That's right. There's not enough yang, right? You know, the ability, we're talking about kidney yang mostly, right? The ability to process, you know, kidney in TCM, you know, that is like the major ultimate organ in terms of like dominating uh, water metabolism. So if the kidney yang is deficient, the ability to process water is impaired. So you end up with a lot of like water retention. So that is actually what we mean, kidney yang deficiency with water retention. On the other hand, the blood vessel, that power, you know, the about contraction, that force, that also is what? Part of the qi. If you don't have enough yang, qi also can be limited. So you have more water retention. You don't have enough power to push it. You end up with your blood pressure will be higher naturally because that is just how the body functions. They need to make sure to provide vital blood supply to liver, kidney, brain, but they cannot do it. They have to get the blood pressure up, make sure they can compensate, they can get some. It's a bit extra. Yeah, this is one of the things I think a lot of patients run into problems with their blood pressure medication 
especially older patients, a little bit of elevated blood pressure in someone who's older is not such a bad idea because you need a little more pressure to get it to all those different parts of the body. There's probably, you know, you get to be older, there's some blood stasis that's also in the system that you've got to push through. And you need to make sure that you've got it regulated correctly. That's right. The most recent, you know, the clinical guidelines when it comes to blood pressure management, that is everybody's pushing, it should be lower and lower. But when we get older, naturally, we're talking about, you know, the blood vessel hardening, the systolic number will be higher. You know, there used to be there's estimated, right? After age 50, every year, one point up. Mm. That means you're systolic. But diastolic, that's a different story. That is from, that reflects a different part of the, uh, the circulation system. So, but now, pretty much discount that. It's like, okay, regardless how old you are, if your higher, you know, systolic number is high, that needs to be lower. You think about the natural progression. So when we get older, the artery is harder, so they, they have to increase the pressure a little bit to keep the level of blood supply. So that is the reason why you keep going up. And as long as you don't have major issues, we're talking about symptoms, we're talking about that if the lower blood pressure is very good because that ability to expand is still good, that's okay. But now we have patients coming in, it's like, okay, you know, go to the see the doctor, they check, oh, blood pressure is high. So the doctor gives them the blood pressure medication that cannot function now because they put it down 20, 30 points down. And you think about they're actually suffering from a less blood supply compared to before they were on the medication. That's right. So we're back to what you were talking about earlier in this conversation. This is why it's so important to be able to focus on function. Always. Yeah, because it's, we're talking about the comprehensive, you know, in Chinese medicine, so like, right, two most important basic principles, comprehensive approach, holistic point of view, comprehensive approach, basically what that means is, right? The second is individualized or personalized treatment. Yes, well. Yeah, those two <laughs> are the foundation of traditional Chinese medicine. This is from the we're talking about, you know, the infancy of this medicine for the past, at least we know, 2,000 some years. That is the way how we practice. Yes. It's the original individualized medicine. That's right. So that's why I'm pretty much, you know, because my training, I always keep up with medical current, you know, like, okay, what is the breakthroughs? Yeah. What is this new thing? So like this morning, I was reading, oh, there's a new study showing two things that can cause stroke and heart attack. One is emotional uh, upset. Two, there's a big scale study, multiple uh, center, you know, randomized. And the second is heavy laboring or exertion. And I read the conclusion. I read the study a little bit. It's like, okay, what we're talking about in TCM terms right? Liver fire or liver qi stagnation plus qi deficiency. So you push the blood out of the blood vessel, not enough qi to keep the blood wall intact. 
that's what you get, right? Those are actually pretty much the two major patterns in TCM. So like how we look at it, it's like, okay, if they have a risk of having heart problems, a stroke, you look at, okay, there's the fire perspective, there's the qi deficiency perspective. So conventional medicine, to me, and more and more look like TCM. That they try to get to that. Well, again, I find it so helpful anytime we look at something in Western medicine, and of course, Western medicine has a lot to offer, but it's so important to be able to somehow understand it from within the framework of Chinese medicine. Otherwise, it's not that helpful to us. We can't really use our medicine. How do I say this? I mean, if we can understand a Western condition, not just from the Western point of view, but from within the structures and thought of Chinese medicine, then that kind of research can actually be helpful to us. Because then we can use our methods and methodologies. That's true. That's exactly what I'm trying to you know, encourage my students. At least it's like, okay, conventional medicine is very helpful to your practice to help you to become a great practitioner. So try not to like basically reject. Yeah, it's like we we want pure, pure, the classic of the classic. You know, we don't want anything to do with conventional medicine. I think it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this is not like 100 years ago. This is not like 200 years ago. And the conventional medicine, you know, you like it or not, it's the mainstream. So if there's something we can use uh, to enrich, you know, Chinese medicine or, you know, that to get a new so-called new medicine, integrating medicine, and if that can benefit the patient, the goal of medicine is what? To help the patient. Exactly. So if you can do that, yeah. It's like, okay, I'm very practical. I don't <laughs> like to... I joke about that all the time with my students. Like, okay, we can talk about the yin and the yang, qi and the blood among ourselves, practitioners. That's not the problem. But don't forget, we are part of the healthcare system. We need to communicate with other healthcare professionals. So to be able to speak with other healthcare professionals, you have to have a common language. Yes. That's why, like what I mentioned, it's like, okay, at least like... Patient asks, should I take this formula? Uh, okay, I need to know if you're, what medications you're on. You know, are we, there's a conflict or there's complementary effects. Yeah. So we always want the complementary effect, not in conflict. This is kind of like, you don't want to take more the same stuff. You want to help to address these areas you know, the conventional treatment cannot address. This is true integrative. I've seen this in other places as well. There was a woman who used to come to me for acupuncture. I think she had some sort of musculoskeletal issue. We were just doing acupuncture. She also happened to have diabetes. I was not treating her diabetes. I was not trying to treat her diabetes. She just came in for back pain. She stopped coming for treatment 
because she was becoming more sensitive to her insulin and was getting a little bit hypoglycemic from time to time. And I suggested, well, maybe talk to your doctor and you could alter your medication. It sounds like your diabetes might be responding as well. She didn't want to change her medication. She wanted to stay on her Western medication. She didn't want her diabetes to be affected. She ended up stopping using acupuncture for the back pain. So I think it is helpful, and, and I often will warn patients from time to time, if they're on something like diabetes medication or other kinds of medication, that the work that we do might affect those. And first of all, to get their permission, are you okay if these other things change? Because sometimes the patients are happy to maintain whatever condition they have with medication. They're not looking for it to change. And so it, it's helpful to let them know it might change. Or even if they do want to change the condition, to pay attention, maybe get their doctor involved because prescriptions might need to change. Uh, Michael, you're right that one. I think probably what you did, talking about acupuncture, you know, besides even though you were just treating her for back pain. So what we know from all the research about acupuncture is way beyond just to relieve the pain, right? Yeah, we say that, oh, the endorphin dopamine release is that extra amount of endorphin dopamines that give you more relief. But that's just a very small part of it. It's just the icing on the cake. It's just, yeah. But what probably what you did, you know, especially with the acupuncture, you know, if she has trouble to maintain like the glycemic level. So one part of the thing, what could happen is like you target on those insulin receptor function. There's always two sides of story when it comes to insulin. You know, most times we focus on how much insulin you have. That's why, oh, you don't have enough insulin, we give you insulin therapy. But the second half, just as important as the first half, is your insulin receptor function. Mm -hmm. So in my practice, I have discovered that a lot, a lot of people actually, they have what literally we call insulin resistance is because their insulin receptor function decreased or it's being Impaired. So you think about it, even you have the same amount of insulin release, if you can improve the insulin receptor function 10%, 20%, that actually help you add back another 10, 20% of insulin. But that part is always being like overlooked. They don't pay attention to that part. And interesting enough, that pattern, it's like, how do we know they have issues with their insulin receptor? Type 2, we're talking about most times, type 2 diabetes with obesity. You look at their tongue, when you see a thick, greasy coating, you know they have issues with the insulin receptor. And uh, in my practice, I use a very common formula called Shengling Baizhu San. You know, the classic formula used for... Oh, yeah, great. Spleen deficiency yes. with the dampness. Yes, like, oh, that formula also can be used to treat chronic diarrhea. That's according to textbooks. And what they didn't say is like, okay, what type of chronic diarrhea? 
we're talking about when you have insulin resistance, that type, because well, part of the complication from diabetes, right? A lot of people have gastro issues and because of the vagus nerve irritation, they tend to have loose stool diarrhea all the time. So we have patients who give them the least effective, those little BB's pills, you know, that herbal world, you know, we prefer the decoction and powder and the little black BB's is just kind of like the bottom of the, the rink. So I have patients just taking those little babies, two months, a patient is type 1 diabetes, insulin therapy for 30 some years. She had to two months in treatment. She lost 15 pounds. She had to cut back her insulin to have the dose. More sensitive. Yeah, the more sensitive. You kind of like you increase the insulin receptor function indirectly, you increase insulin level. Yes. <laughs> I just heard you mention vagus nerve, mm -hmm. and you referred a little bit to it when you were talking earlier about sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. I know that the polyvagal theory these days is it's quite popular and interesting, and I think ultimately helpful as well. How do you think about the vagus nerve in Chinese medicine? Uh, the vagus nerve, uh, that's the number 10 cranial, right? So we, we know that. And in conventional medicine, it's also like a hot topic to a lot of doctors talk about it. You know, in my opinion, we always use the phrase, right? Yeah, the mind and the body connection. So what makes that connection? Vagus nerve, the number 10. That is the one that started from the brain, right? go down to the, the neck, throat, connect with the lung, chest, and then stop at the GI tract. So that is the one that actually, basically, like we talk about the divergent channel, mm. right? You hook up all the important organs, the upper jaw, the middle jaw, clear orifice, you have that connection. That is what the vagus nerve is about. And there's a lot of study, but... Frankly, based on the principle in conventional medicine, we don't have a way to study the thing. You know, the nerves is like, we know what they are. We know how the anatomy part, yes, it's very clear. You can even see what that is. But how they function, how they interact with other nerves, and not to mention, you know, muscle, other it's not clear. We don't have a way. We don't have a way to study it. But that doesn't mean you cannot treat it. In my experience, according to Shang Han Lun, a lot of those vagus nerve issues is what we call Shaoyang Bing. It's under Shaoyang Bing. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. 
Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free drop ship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Okay, so these are going to be your chai hu formulas that you're going to use. That's right. And one of the best formula we use for that to help that vagus nerve, the formula is chai hu jia long gu mu That's the cousin of guajir jia long gu mu <laughs> That's right. It's in the same. So I call that, what is the chai hu jia long gu mu It's the herbal zoloft. Of course, way more than that, but this is definitely one of the... <laughs> The antidepressant, herbal antidepressant, yeah, and more than definitely more than that, yeah. But in my practice, that and plus another formula, I call that crazy lady formula, politically incorrect. So we, we you cut this you part can't off. say that. You can't say that in public, Doctor Wen. You're big, big mafan. You're a big mafan. Yeah, and Ganmai Da Zao Tang. Yeah, which is also from Golden Cabinet. It's classic formula. You know, golden gamai da zao tang is used for a condition called the dry organ syndrome, zhang zao, right? So what is dry organ syndrome? It's pretty much sympathetic nerve and the parasympathetic nerve disharmony and partially that also affecting the vagal nerve function. So, um, Dr. Huang, are you familiar with Dr. Huang Huang's work? Oh, uh, yeah. Dr. Huang Huang from Nanjing? Certainly, yeah. So he has a formula... You could probably call it crazy lady formula as well. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get in so much trouble. I can't believe it. (laughs) At any rate, it is Sinisan Mm -hmm. with Bancha Hopotang. That's right. Yeah. Those two mixed together. And so, you know, you're getting that easing of the nervous tension with that Chaihu formula. Mm -hmm. And then we know that the Bancha Hopotang is very good for the plum pit chi for that sort of slightly phlegm, but psycho-emotive constraint mm-hmm. that it just makes people uncomfortable to be constrained like that. Banxia uh, Hoputang actually is also for the part of uh, the vagal nerve irritation. Yeah, it's mostly that kind of like sectional. You know, Chai Hu Jia Long can go all the way down from top of the head down to the gut. Banxia mm-hmm. Hoputang mostly for the upper jaw part. Upper jaw. Upper jaw part. You know, the funny thing is like in my practice, I also use Banxia Hoputang a lot for a common condition, sleep apnea. Oh. You think about it, what sleep apnea is, right? Yes. The restriction and the narrowing of the airway due to... With phlegm. With phlegm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So naturally, when there's enough qi keep things moving, it won't close off. There's not enough qi, the qi becomes stagnant so that combination, in my practice, Banxia Hoputang used a lot for, you know, the sleep apnea. Sleep apnea. That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
So we're in trouble with the women now. Let's get in trouble with the guys. Well. Let's get in trouble with the men. What do you say? We got to even this out. Yin and yang, right? Yin and wei. A lot of those guys, they need testosterone and natural steroids, right? Well, here's the thing that I'm more curious about because most men, and I just want to preface this for a moment. There's Our medicine does a fantastic job for women's health. I mean, it truly is a treasure for women's health. Everything from difficult menstrual issues to fertility, postpartum, Chinese medicine is fantastic. For men, and of course, men don't come in for treatment as much, but most men over the age of 50 will probably have a little bit of swelling of their prostate. And many men, as they get into their 60s, 70s, and 80s, are dealing with, they call it benign prostate hypertrophy, right? The prostate gets swollen. Enlarge the prostate. For men who have this problem, it's not benign. They've got a lot of urinary issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you've got some thoughts about treatment for these guys. You know, that's the easiest way for that is the kidney yang, yin and yang deficiency. So you look at it from conventional medicine point of view, yes, it's a benign, uh, hyper, enlarged prostate that make it, make it easier. Mm-hmm. So there are different ways to treat it. The most dramatic, yeah, the TERP procedure, a lot of if you ask the patients if they had the TERP procedure, so they would know, basically. Yes. We call that the rotor-rooter. It is the rotor-rooter, <laughs> To cut it out, yeah. Yes. But in Chinese medicine, it's like, okay, let's step back. So why you have the prostate enlarged in the first place? What happens, just from the TCM perspective? So anything overgrow, right? Like just growth in general has a lot to do with yin and essence. But normally that yin and essence like induced growth is measured, is kind of like a controlled. So what controls that is kidney qi and kidney yang. So you kind of like have those three factors that work together. The kidney yin try to Regenerate right, the lining and everything. Kidney qi controls the speed, yeah, how fast you grow. And kidney yang is like the overall, like a check marker, you know, make sure you just don't go out of place. So that explains why when you have the kidney yin grow a lot, there's not enough qi, kidney qi, not enough kidney yang to control that you end up with enlarged prostate. So in conventional medicine, actually it's like, oh, people have two different things. You have testosterone, right? There's another one called dihydrotestosterone, which is actually the free testosterone, which is actually the form can be used. Right, so these are different hormones that come off of testosterone. It is, yeah. It's just like a different form of testosterone, which is the mm-hmm. so-called free uh, testosterone you can can use that. So it's the conversion period, like a conversion process, got into trouble. That's why you have that in the first place. And that's why you've got certain drugs. Mm -hmm. Was it R5A reductinase inhibitor? I can't remember the technical term, but Flomax. Flomax. Yeah, Flomax to shrink the prostate. 
Yeah. So this is exactly what you're talking about. There's a problem with this conversion. Yeah. Makes the prostate grow and, and the popular drugs mm -hmm. are trying to limit that. To shrink that the other ways like try to uh, like pretty much improve that conversion. Mm -hmm. So you don't have that. So this is actually from PSAN perspective, it's like, okay, you need to focus on the kidney yang, kidney qi, and the kidney yin to balance it. So what is the best balanced formula that covers all of it? Formula called jing gui sheng qi wan. So that is actually the foundation formula for men, older men, not older. We're talking about just like, a, I guess, Depends on how you define older now. You know, nowadays is the, the change all the time. The last time I heard is like, okay, over 75 is called old. So Michael, we have a long way to go. We're, we're, we're okay. far away from that group yet. So when you have that testosterone level drop, and a lot of men have this condition called andropause, you know, the male version of menopause because of that. So the therapy, all the doctors and different practitioners that, that basically, you know, testosterone patch, testosterone cream, whatever you, you call it, you use it. But they just focus on the testosterone itself. That is not ideal. So the best way we're talking about in Chinese medicine is kidney yin and kidney yang, they're both from kidney essence. So what is the kidney essence? Kidney essence is cortisol. So cortisol level in the body, that is the measurement for your kidney essence, how much you have. And the funny thing you hear from your patient too, right? The practitioner, wow, your stress hormone is too high. You know, your cortisol level is just out of the roof. You know, that is not a bad thing because you still have the material you can be used to convert into your hormone. If your cortisol level down to zero, you are in big trouble. We have patients who on steroids for five, six years, their cortisol level is zero. You know, it's like when they come in, this is a real problem. You, once you get off the, the steroids, we probably take a long time to rebuild you and get your cortisol level back. Dr. Wen, this is a really interesting thing that you've given me to think about. I'm going to need to spend a little time chewing on this, that kidney essence is related to cortisol. Often you hear about, oh, cortisol level's too high. Well, maybe it's not that the cortisol is too high. Well, the cortisol is too high. Maybe it's just that we're using our essence, in a sense, incorrectly. And then you get too much stress going on. Okay, so here's the key, the stress part. Mm. What is the stress part in TSM? Liver, right? Where is that conversion supposed to happen? Oh, that's right. Dude. If you're stressed out, <laughs> your liver cannot function normally. So that liver stagnation, you know, the term we use, I use the term property, liver depression rather than liver mm -hmm. qi stagnation, you know, right? Yeah, because liver qi stagnation is part of the liver depression, which is general term, you know, we use in TSM, you know, if liver is in trouble. So now you, you see the issue. You may have both. When you have enlarged prostate, the kidney, yin and yang, mm -hmm. not doing well, not balanced. And you, on the side, you have the liver also involved because of the stress, the build-up stress, you know, the other emotional upset, emotional distress. 
you know, you kind of like, okay, those are the two major organs you need to, to address. That's the way of like thinking, like, okay, any problem, you know, you look at it from conventional perspective, and then from the TSAM perspective, and you have a much, much better, better view, understanding of what's going on. Yes. Again, I think one of the things that I'm taking away from this conversation, I'm very appreciative of this, is anything that we see in Western medicine, because especially folks like me, most of your students, most of us practicing here in the United States, we grew up with Western medicine. It's in our thinking. We can't not think it, even though we also have a Chinese medicine brain, so we can kind of think in two different ways. But I'm back to this idea of anything that we see in Western medicine, we should also be able to talk about it from the Chinese medicine point of view. How would that be described from the Chinese medicine point of view? We're looking at the same body. We're just using different ways of describing it. That's right. That's right. And uh, speaking of that, it's the way of thinking, very important. And also in practice, from a practical perspective, you know, patient come in, it's like, oh, I'm, I've been taking Coumadin for the past five years. Mm. And there's a very practical question. It's like, okay, the patient still have a lot of signs of blood stagnation. Should you add blood movers? You know, so like in addition to the Coumadin, the blood thinner patients have been taking, should you add something a little bit more to address those issues? Oh, the patient is already taking infection. Patients are already taking antibiotics. Okay, so should we use more detox herbs? And always need to ask yourself the questions like, okay, if you add more detox herbs, if you add more blood movers into the regimen, what is your basis? Why you do it? Yeah, you have to have a reasonable explanation. So that is another, it's like a very important. Yes, so often we are having to ask ourselves these questions of what am I seeing and how do I know I'm seeing it? And then what should I do about it, if anything? Maybe the Coumadin is doing enough or maybe it's moving blood in a certain way, but there's other places where the blood could be helped by something like bugs that get into the lower channels. Maybe the Coumadin's not getting into that, at least from what we're seeing. I'm I'm speaking hypothetically here, just taking your idea and, and kind of riffing on it. Are there places where you see in your practice that someone's on Coumadin and yet the Coumadin is not getting at an aspect of the blood stasis that you want to treat? Uh, yeah, because I based on, it's like, okay, doesn't matter how long you've been taking Coumadin. You've been taking Coumadin, there's a test that you're supposed to go every four to six weeks to make sure it's not overdosed, right? Yeah, or underdosed, it's somewhere in between. But if you still present a lot of those blood stagnation signs, purple lips, purple tongue, you still have a lot of issues. So that means Coumadin, just you use that as a blood thinner, it's not enough to address all those issues. Because we know in conventional medicine, when you talk about the clotting process, the clotting, there's like 13 clotting factors. So we know Coumadin's only touch the two and the three of the 13. What about the other clotting factors? What their function, you know, what their relationship with the one that, you know, is being 
addressed with the Kumida? We don't know. But that's why you add the Danshan, like the one Sylvia you mentioned. Danshan has about 20 active compounds, right? Two of them relate to like clotting issues. You can have that, add that in to address the other clotting factors that hasn't been addressed. That's a way of uh, thinking. Yeah, I think it's very, very important. And of course, with our Chinese medicine, we can look at something like blood stagnation. And we can look at it with a little bit more nuance than simply, oh, there's a blood clot somewhere. Right? We can look at spider veins in the legs. We can just look at the overall look of a person's face. We can see, is that blood stagnation more surface? Is it more deep? Is it involved with a certain organ, for that matter? And go after it that way. That's correct. Yeah, because the way you described, we look at actually from the more comprehensive approach. Not just like the blood, okay, is the blood too thick, too thin, right? The other manifestations, spider wings, you know, like, yeah, varicose wings, you know, you have those. And if you have that, those needs to be addressed because the Kumina didn't help that. They've been taking Kumina for a long time. Those are still there. So that you know they have not been addressed, or at least the Kumanan itself, it didn't have much of an impact on those things. Yes. And of course, that's you know a drug that we do want to be careful with if we're going to be prescribing, especially blood-moving herbs, mm-hmm. to our patients. Yeah. But yeah. Often people are coming to us because whatever the treatment is that they've been receiving hasn't quite solved the problem yet. That's exactly the point. Yeah, it's like, okay, you know what they're taking. You know how much those are impacting, right? Basically, how much impact in those drugs are. And if they still have a little bit left over, they cannot be touched, you added something. But of course, there's other areas that in conventional treatment barely touch it. You have much more. For example, like lymph system, mm. you know, the fascia system. Yeah, when you have a chronic condition. And so... Frankly, we talked about the Shaoyang. We mentioned the Shaoyang being earlier. Yes. And a major part of the Shaoyang being actually is what you're treating. You're treating lymph system and the fascia system. So that is something we're talking about. Oh, what is Shaoyang, right? The pivot. What the pivot? You kind of like keep the system intact. Oh, so-called upper, middle, lower, in and out, right? You have all those... Anything, qi, blood, and fluid, and water, you know, all the pathways. That is what we're talking about. Well, in this case, you're talking about the sanjiao. Yeah. Which they recently found a new organ in the body. I think this was a year or a year and a half ago. They found a new organ (laughs) called the interstitium. That's right. (laughs) You know, they describe it's this fluid-filled, thin membrane that goes through the entire torso and through all the different connects all the different organs it's like oh you mean the sanjiao <laughs> i'm sure you were laughing when you first heard it it's like all the tsm practitioners are like oh this is new <laughs> we thought that yeah right yeah the triple burner is being around for 2000 years at least a long time we know <laughs> yeah it's just the conventional medicine just like basically to confirm oh there's definitely something like what we used to describe that's a triple burner, right? System. <laughs> there. Yeah, there's been physical evidence now. Yes. Well, Dr. Wen, this has been 
a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. I feel like I have gotten so much from you today and, and just ways of tuning up my Chinese medicine thinking and, and certainly some herbal formulas to reconsider. If people would like to find out more about what you're doing, I know that you've also got some videos online and, and things like that. How would people find you? Uh, I think go to my website, probably the easiest way. WenIQPuncture.com. Very easy to, <laughs> yeah. You know, my Chinese name is Wen means warm, right? Yeah. My first name, Hua Bing, means warm, can melt ice. So very TCM, like, if you have something cold, come to me. You know, that <laughs> I can keep you warm. I thought Hua Bing meant to go skating on ice. <laughs> yeah. That means slides. That's another hua. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so send me an email. My email address is my full name, huabingwen12 at gmail.com. Great. I will make sure all of that is on the show notes page for folks. Yeah. If they want to contact me. And I also have quite a few webinars recorded from the past couple of years available you know, for distance learning and so TCM oncology and TCM treatment for infertility and also have a tra- yeah, special Shaoyang Bing chapter of the Shanghai Lun. Great. I need to go take a look at that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for the conversation today. Really enjoyed this. Thank you for having me, Michael. Yeah, anytime. There's a saying in Chinese, even when you're old, keep learning. I'd say in general, that is true. And when it comes to the practice of medicine, it's essential. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation and found the topics covered to be helpful to you in your clinical work. You know, it's such an odd balance practicing medicine. On one hand, there's a lot to know, and we can use that to help our patients on the other We are constantly bumping up against the unknown and invited into learning something new. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, That's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.